You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all glad to be here this morning? Yes, man, good stuff. Uh, hopefully you know by now we're, we're in a new series called The Book. Uh, we're going through every book of the Bible uh, so that means this is a 37-year series. Not really, no. No, we're not going, we're not going verse by verse. We're going to kind of dip our toe in each book of the Bible in about the course of a year. And so um, looking forward to that as we hopefully get into some passages and some books that maybe you're not as familiar with. And the, the idea, don't hear, when you hear that, don't hear skim the Bible. We're going to be each week going deeply into one book of the Bible. And another little um, thing to be aware of is Pastor David and I, we're not actually every week doing the same passage, partly because we were talking. And I think he brought up, he was like, you're going to have your favorite passage. I'm going to have my favorite passage. It's going to be tough to do. And so uh, the cool thing about that is, is you can listen to the podcast uh, on Spotify or iTunes, whatever you want to listen to it on. Um, and you can listen to really two sermons from different parts of that one book that week, which is kind of cool. And so just some clarity on what's happening there. But this week, hopefully you know by now, we're diving into the book of Genesis. So in both services, diving into the book of Genesis. And what's interesting about Genesis, yes, it's, it's the beginning. God created everything. It's where it all starts. Then you've got Genesis 3, the fall of mankind when Adam and Eve sinned, right? Um, and from that moment, Genesis 3.15, you begin to see... God's redemptive story, his redemptive plan throughout scripture. So last week we talked about that scarlet thread that runs through all of scripture and begins even in Genesis that we began before that, but we see it beginning in Genesis all through scripture. And one of the ways God did that is he chose a family to begin to bring his redemptive plan to the world. So like in Genesis 12, we hear about father Abraham. Good job. All right. Yeah. We're not going to sing it together, though we should. Um, we learned about Father Abraham. Then you got, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Are you with me? Okay, so you got this family beginning to be seen in the book of Genesis. And again, in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing to everybody. So it's not, I'm going to bless you and you can sit on your high horse and just enjoy being blessed. No, you're supposed to be blessed to be a blessing. Well, the interesting thing, as you read through the book of Genesis, this family has got some issues. Now, I know we can't relate because all of our families are perfect. Amen. Amen, that's right, okay? Not really, no. This, this family is, you can almost say a joke at times. There's, there's so much conniving and lying and sexual sins going on in this family. It's, it's messed up. Almost so much so that you're kind of wondering as you're reading the book of Genesis, you're like, God did did you pick the right family? Like, like did, did you mean to pick them? What are you doing? You, as you read Genesis, no one would say, that is a cute story. <laughs> it makes me think about uh, my, my daughter, Carolina Tate. She's been in this phase now for a few months where everything is cute to her. She says everything is cute. So we'll walk up to the steakhouse. She's, she's like, mama, that, that, that's cute. I'm like, it's a steakhouse. It's not cute, right? Or we have a little home gym and I ordered some things for it. And so it's supposed to be these manly, right? You're getting these weights that come in, right? Not, not, not five pound weights. We're getting 45 plates, all right? So they're, they're coming in and I'm opening up and Carolina Tate says, dad, dad, that's cute. And I'm like, my gym is not cute, okay? <laughs> or even though I think it was about two months ago, I got a new rifle. And again, she's like, oh, dad, dad, it's cute. And I'm like, you, ma'am, do not understand the, 
meaning of the word cute, okay? You would not be saying these things are cute if you knew what that meant. That's certainly true of this family in scripture. Now, as goofy as that is, the reality is a lot of you this morning would resonate with that, that if, if someone were to describe what you've gone through in your life, if they were to describe your life, to describe your life and say, oh, that's cute, you would be like, you don't understand what that word means because my life is not cute <laughs> because you've gone through some rough stuff. Even as a child of God, if there's ever a believer, a child of God who, who could resonate with that, it was a guy named Joseph. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And by the way, if you're confused, beginning of the series to the books of the Bible, read the first book. You can find Genesis, right? You got this. Genesis chapter 37. And while this is part of a larger narrative about Jacob, really, um, we're going to dive into a kind of a natural unit, a narrative about Joseph. I think you may resonate with more than you realize. And I would also say, a lot of us, maybe you grew up in church and you, you think back to what you heard about Joseph as a kid, and that's good, and we should t- teach about Joseph to our children, but it's not the cute story that you heard as a kid. So I want you to see it with fresh eyes. Genesis 37, verse one. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons, sorry, uh, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So I know this has never happened in any of your families. What you have here is the younger sibling, Joseph, going and telling on his older siblings. I see some of the families looking at each other. Like, yeah, that's what's going on. Uh, And typically as an older sibling, how do you feel when your younger sibling, even if they're right and you've been doing something wrong, how do you feel when they tell on you? Don't lie to me. Listen here, when mom and dad, I don't know, I'm gonna squeeze your little necky little pumpkin head, right? Like, you know what you do, right? That's how they felt towards Joseph. It says they hated him. They, would, they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. So they can't even, when they see him, they can't even be like, how's it going, little bro? They're like, I'm gonna kill you when I see you later today. Right? Like, that's how they view him. Verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. See a theme there? <laughs> he said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. Don't miss this. 
but his father kept the saying in mind. I, I, I want to clear something up here. Has Joseph done anything wrong right now? No, I'm not saying he's sinless. I'm not saying that, but it, I'm amazed at some of the, I don't know if they're just because they don't know what to write, so they try to write like devotional commentary. Like I, I read some things like, well, Joseph, he was really out of line. He was really being prideful when he told them their, his dreams. I'm willing to bet some of y'all on the way to church this morning, you told the people you rode with your dream. You're like, I had this weird dream last time. I don't know if it was the nachos or what, right? Like that ha- that's normal. That's normal to say a dream. But the reality is if it's, negative towards your siblings, of course they're gonna hate you for it. Man, shut up, Joseph, we don't wanna hear that, right? That's, that's what's going on. So I, I would say, Joseph, why well, he's not perfect. He's not, he's not done anything wrong here. Is he maybe being the annoying little brother? Sure, sure. That's not a sin last time I checked, right? I hope it's not. <laughs> it is, sorry, Lauren. Uh, my sister, Lauren, not that Lauren. That's confusing. Anyways, okay, um, he's not done anything wrong. And to add to that, why I think like, we shouldn't see Joseph as a bad guy here, but his brothers, the author Moses is making it very clear over and over, his brothers are the ones that are hateful. His brothers are the ones that are jealous. Those are sins, right? So the, Moses is making it clear, Joseph, pretty good guy. Brothers, not so great. And to add to that, his dad, uh, Jacob, when he hears about the dream, says he kept it in mind. So I think Jacob, even though he rebukes Joseph, like, Joseph, don't. What are you saying, man? He, he kind of tucks it away as maybe something's going on there. Some time passes and, by the way, I'm gonna summarize some of these passages this morning because, uh, just for the sake of time, really. So verses 12 through 24, we see that Joseph uh, is sent by his dad to go and check on his brothers. So again, you got a little bro coming to check on the older siblings, the older brothers. He goes to Shechem, they're not there. Some guy says, hey, I saw him headed to Dothan. So he goes to Dothan and listen what happens. The, the, the tension, the animosity on this story gets cranked up real quick, like zero to 60, really fast. Joseph is walking to Dothan just to check on his brothers. He's doing what his dad told him to do. He's walking up to Dothan and it says, verse 19 says, they say to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Like all jokes aside, that got serious real quick, right? I mean, it's one thing to be like, man, I hate my sibling. They're like, no, literally, we're gonna plot and plan to kill Joseph when he gets over here because we're sick of him. They make up this story. We're gonna say that a fierce animal has devoured him. Well, Reuben, the older brother who realizes, hey, like I, I've got some responsibility to my dad here. He's gonna look to me and say, why didn't you stop this? Reuben's like, hey, let's, let's not kill him. Let's, let's not take his life. Let's just throw him in a pit for now. Don't lay a hand on him. And he says, the text says that he's trying to figure out, how can I rescue my brother? How can I do something? So they stripped him of his robe and threw him in the pit. Now, verse 25 is crazy. It doesn't sound crazy, but it's crazy. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat. How sick and twisted and evil do you have to be to be in the process of making plans to kill your brother, leave him for dead, and while you're waiting to figure out the plan, say, you wanna grab a bite to eat? These dudes are messed up. 
And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? I got a different idea. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Unreal. They sold their brother into slavery. It says that they, Reuben came back and he's like, what is going on? Again, remember, he didn't necessarily want to like keep his brother around, but he wanted to at least do something that would be respectable for his dad. So he says, what did y'all do? And they, they make up this story. They, they, they take Joseph's robe, they dip it in blood, and all the brothers go back to Jacob, their father, and they say, do you recognize, how dirty is this too? Do, do you recognize this robe, dad, that's covered in blood? Oh, it's Joseph. Oh, an animal must have gotten him. That, that must be what happened to him. He's not here anymore. Verse 36 says, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Man, talk about being betrayed by your family. Talk about <laughs> your story being a broken mess. And what's crazy, this was, again, this was God's chosen family through whom redemption was supposed to come to the world. Again, God, are you sure you got the right family? Like, what, what are you doing here? Joseph was part of the lineage that was to be a blessing. They were to be blessed to be a blessing to the world. And now it seems he is cut off from that blessing. He's, he's left for dead by his own family. Can't help but think Joseph's wondering, God, God, what are you doing? Like, what is going on here? Some of you have been so hurt or betrayed or broken by your family you can resonate with that. If you could pull up a chair and talk with God, you would say, God, what is that about? What was that about? I'm a broken mess because of what my family did or I'm a broken mess because my family was a broken mess. God, what are you doing? And you know, to add insult to injury, didn't your, your pit... <laughs> your whole in life feel worse if the people who are treating you poorly seem to be doing just fine? You know what I'm talking about? The Psalms definitely know what I'm talking about. The Psalmist talks a lot about, God, I'm honoring you. These evil fools over here don't honor you and their life is going just fine. What are you doing, God? Chapter 38 is actually not about Joseph per se. It's actually super weird. It's about his brother Judah. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna read all of chapter 38, but if there was ever a, 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 a story in the Bible, a chapter in the Bible that would be way inappropriate to call cute, Carolina Tate, it is definitely this chapter. Hang in there with me. Super weird. And uh, not PG, but I'll, I'll be careful, I promise. Um, Judah, who is Joseph's brother, who was just part of this, putting him in the pit and selling him and all this mess. Judah, decides he's gonna go on sexual escapade. Like he's gonna just go rampant in sexual sin. So Judah, he does that, has these kids, ends up having this daughter-in-law who her, uh, Judah's son, 
who is married to his daughter-in-law, obviously, dies, and Judah says to Tamar, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you a husband. It's gonna be fine. One of my sons will grow up, and I'll let him marry you. Well, he doesn't give her to Tamar. So Tamar, his daughter-in-law, again, all this is super messed up. I realize that. It's in the Bible. You can read it later, um, or now if you like. But Tamar goes and dressed up as a prostitute, goes out on the street. Well, Judah is walking by, sees Tamar, and says, hey, I wanna sleep with you. And she says, what's your payment? So he's gonna give her a goat. Again, super weird, old times, right? But he's gonna give her a goat. It's okay to laugh at that. That's kind of weird, right? So he's gonna give her a goat. But in the meantime, he gives her, I think it says his cord and his signet. Uh, I think jewelry. So she takes that, they have sex. Well, later she gets pregnant. And when Judah finds out about Tamar being pregnant, you know what he says? So you know I'm not lying. Verse 24, he said, bring her out and let her be burned. So he's out sleeping around, sleeping with prostitutes, and he's like, hey, uh, Tamar, like, sexual immorality, she's my daughter-in-law, we're gonna burn her. Well, she's a smart lady. She brings back the payment, the signet and the cord, and says, whoever this is, this is the baby daddy. And Judah says, she's more righteous than I. And that's about all that comes of it. Now, hang on there. When the Bible doesn't seem to make sense, it's not because the Bible, something's wrong with the Bible, it's because you haven't read far enough. You don't say, whoop. Like if that, was, <laughs> if that was like your daily devotional reading, you ended there, you'd be like, okay, God. <laughs> like, not really sure what that's about. Just gonna pretend like that never happened, right? When the Bible doesn't make sense, you need to read more. So I want you in your mind, draw a circle around that crazy, messed up, sick story and put it over there because it's actually part of Joseph's story. We just don't know it yet. So back to Joseph. Remember, he's in Potiphar's house. He's what country is he in? What nation? What land? He's in Egypt, right? And it says, I'm kind of summarizing some of verses one through six, that the Lord was with him. So again, super confusing because He's been betrayed by his family, been thrown in a pit, now sold into slavery, but God's like, hey, Moses is telling us that God was still with him. That's, that's confusing to me. It says that he found favor, God gave him favor, and that Potiphar, who was the captain of uh, Pharaoh's guard, put Joseph over all that he had. And then God keeps blessing Joseph, so all that Potiphar has is being blessed because Joseph is there. It's kind of confusing to me. And so not only is, is Joseph, he, things are kind of looking up, like he's, he's still a slave, but he's doing a good job. Um, so that's kind of good. And he's also apparently very handsome. Verse six, the end of verse six says, he was handsome in form and appearance. So he's a good looking dude, but maybe too good looking. Verse seven says, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, 
she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. And he cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard, or I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. That is talking about Potiphar. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. How messed up is that? That's messed up. You can't have more integrity than Joseph just had. Day after day, this lady is trying to seduce him. And he keeps saying, no, no, no. And eventually he, run, he literally runs out of the house. And that's taking fleeing from temptation like New Testament style, really literally, right? Like I'm gonna bounce, you're gonna try to seduce me. I'm gonna run away. You can't have more integrity than this. Okay, remember that little circle you drew around that really creepy, gross story a second ago? This is what literary scholars talk about, a foil, right? A foil in the story reveals, is supposed to reveal something to you about the, the protagonist of the story. So Judah is a foil. Judah is a sick, wicked, evil man. You get that circle around him compared to Joseph. What does this tell us about Joseph? The dude has integrity. This is a godly man. And it, I'm, it's not just like, well, I'm trying to be a good guy. I want to be a nice guy. No, he said, he told her in verse nine, I can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. So he's not just trying to be a moral person. No, he, which I'm not making fun of morality, but he's not just trying to be a moral person. He's saying, I'm not going to sin against God because I love God. And you know what's so unjust and unfair about this? Judah, living terribly, has no regard for God or living for God and seems to get off just fine besides like, oh, you caught me. Joseph doing the right thing and full of integrity, living a righteous life, trying to honor God. He does the right thing and what happens? He put in prison. God, I'm gonna take this step for you. I'm gonna do the right thing. Oh, and I'm gonna get shoved back three steps. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I was put in this pit and God, it seemed like you brought me forward, you're giving me success. Oh, but now when I seem to try to honor you, you just push me back even further. God, what are you doing? Some of you have experienced that. Maybe not like exactly, but you've done the right thing. You've, you've not lied on the report that maybe your boss told you to. Hey, let's fudge these numbers here a little bit so that we'll, our company will look better. You, you didn't lie. You did the honorable thing to no avail. Some of you, whether you're married or not, you, you've, you've resisted sexual temptation and it feels like God doesn't even notice that you're, you're trying to live a righteous life. Maybe it seems like everyone else is getting dating, dating and getting married and you, no one wants to talk to you and you're trying to live a pure life. Some of you, maybe you've, 
chose to not do something as simple as cheat on a test. And it, and it seems like those who do cheat, they do find the professor, the teacher could give a rip about it. You are honest and it seems like you're the one that fails the class. God, God what are you doing? This seems unfair, unjust. What are you doing, God? And then to make it maybe even a little more confusing might be the word. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So kind of similar to what happened with Potiphar. Again, the, in the prison, God is showing Joseph favor and he's being successful. And he gets to the point where pretty much uh, Joseph is almost running his all but running the prison. It says the Lord is giving him success, which is just confusing because he's on this roller coaster of it seems like God is for me. And all of a sudden, like, God, do you even care about me? What are you doing? Like roller coaster of God's working. God sees me. And then God, do you, are, are you there? It's confusing. Chapter 40, it says that sometime after this, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, gets angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, which how cool would it be to have like your own personal cupbearer and chief baker, right? Like you wake up on Saturday, you're like, I think I would like some fresh wheat toast. Please get on it, right? Um, so he's got this fresh cupbearer, sorry, not fresh, fresh, chief cupbearer, chief baker, but he gets angry at them and uh, he puts them in prison. Well, they go to prison where Joseph is and He's, again, kind of running things, taking care of things, even though he's still a prisoner himself. Well, it says that one night they both had a dream. And so Joseph, uh, he sees them the next day and he's like, hey, y'all look troubled. What's going on? And they're like, well, we have these crazy dreams. And he says, I love it. In verse eight, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Which by this point, I'm just kind of astonished that Joseph is still being faithful to God. He's still like, hey, you know what? God can answer this. I'm like, Bro, every time you honor God, it seems to go backwards. What are you doing? He keeps honoring God. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore to you your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Then Joseph says, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this house. Pit. Moses intentionally chose that word, or Joseph used Joseph keeps finding himself in these pits, right? Doing the right thing, still in the pit. So the chief cupbearer, was his interpretation, was it good, was it favorable, or was it bad? It was favorable, right? You're gonna get to go right back to your old job. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be great. So the chief baker's like, dude, I wanna hear my interpretation. This is gonna be, it's kind of like, he, like I mean, Mm. I was about to say a fortune teller. It's not a fortune teller, but it's like if you heard someone's future, like that sounds really good. I want to hear what mine is because I bet it'll be great. So the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable 
He said to Joseph, hey, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, which I'm like, bro, you should have known it was a bad dream, right? Like basket head, this is not gonna go well, okay? I had three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. I have to think that the chief baker was like, you're kidding me, bro. (laughs) Like, that's my interpretation. Crazy thing, three days later, it's exactly what happened. The chief cupbearer was restored to his position and the chief baker was killed by Pharaoh. Look at verse 23 of chapter 40. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, in case we don't get an emphasis here, but forgot him. I wanna ask, how, first of all, how could you forget him? He just interpreted this crazy dream. It came about just as he said it would, and you totally forget. I'm like, no wonder the Pharaoh was mad at you, bro. Like, you can't remember things. He forgot. So first of all, how? And second of all, what in the world is God doing? Like, Joseph, again, is being honoring to God. God, I'm telling these guys, look, God can interpret dreams. They belong to him. This is for his glory. And again, he is forgotten. Left for dead in the pit of a prison. Again, I'm afraid some of us can relate to that all too well. You now or at times have have felt or do feel forgotten by God. Maybe you come to church, I'm praise, worship, but in your gut, you're like, God, do you even see me anymore? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to honor you. Are you doing anything? What are you doing, God? Where are you at? Feeling forgotten. It says two whole years went by. Two years in normal life can go by kind of fast. As we know from recent situations, Two years in quarantine is a living hell, right? We thought two two weeks was kind of bad. Two years! And then somebody else has a dream. Pharaoh. He has this crazy dream about seven really fat, (laughs) plump, healthy cows. And then these thin, ugly, nasty cows that ate up the seven attractive cows, which I love that scripture says the cows were attractive. I've never thought, that's an attractive cow. <laughs> so he has this crazy dream and no one, none of the magicians, none of the, none of the um, wise men can interpret it. And finally, as he's talking about, he's stressing over it, his cupbearer, I love it, look at, look at verse, uh, verse nine. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. He's like, hey, coach, that's on me. I forgot something. <laughs> like, that was on me, coach. Uh, that was me. 
And then he tells Pharaoh, look, when I was in prison, remember that time you were angry, which I'm starting to see why you could be angry because I forget a lot of things. But remember when you were angry at me and we were in the prison? Well, there was this guy that interpreted our dreams and it came about just as he said. So Pharaoh's like, we'll go get this dude. Why didn't you remember this earlier? So they go and get Joseph and listen to what Joseph says when he comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, hey, I've got these dreams. I want to tell them to you. Think you can interpret them. Listen to verse 16 of chapter 41. Listen to what he says to Pharaoh. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Here goes Joseph again. In spite of this backwards, backwards, all life just keeps going to a further, deeper, darker pit. Joseph again saying, hey, you know what? God's the one that can do this. It's not about me. I'm not awesome. God's awesome. He's the one that can interpret the dream. You almost want to say, Joseph, just stop, man. Just give it a rest. Every time you do that, it goes poorly for you. What are you doing? So Pharaoh tells him about the, the dream with the ugly and the attractive cows. And then Joseph begins to interpret the dream to him and explains like, the seven beautiful, good, attractive cows are seven years of, of plenty that are going to come. And then the seven terrible, uh, ugly cows are seven famished years that are going to come and they're going to be terrible. Did Pharaoh ask Joseph to tell him what he should do about it? No. But you know what Joseph did? He, he got a little bold here. He actually suggests in verse 33 through 36, he suggests to Pharaoh a plan. Hey, Pharaoh, you know what you could do? When all these, when, uh, during the seven good years, collect the abundance of food, collect the extra that you have, and you have food you can give away during the seven terrible years that the land of Egypt may not perish. Can you imagine? I don't know. I think you have to have a sanctified imagination when you read scripture. We don't know the detail. But I can't help but think that when Joseph, he's standing before Pharaoh, who sees himself as a God, and he's just told Pharaoh Hey, uh, not you, not me, but the one true God can, can answer this dream for you. He tells him that. And then he, he kind of crosses like a bold line of saying, I'm not just gonna interpret the dream. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you some wisdom, Pharaoh. Mr. Pharaoh, here's what you should do about this problem you have. Can you imagine that moment waiting to see the Pharaoh's response? Every time, over and over again, Joseph's been faithful to no avail. Look what the Pharaoh says. This proposal, what it says, sorry. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to all his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And then he says, you know what, Joseph, since God's given you this wisdom, why don't you just be the guy that you're talking about? Why don't you be in charge? I'll be number one in Egypt. I'll be the face of Egypt. You can be the number two guy. You can run everything. Then look at verse 49, begin, everything happened just like Joseph had said it would. Joseph, verse 49, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Then jump over to verse 57. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. What did Joseph find to be true of God even in the brokenness, in the mess, 
in the seemingly hopeless situation of living faithfully and walking and then just being pushed backwards, what did he find to be true of God? That God was still good and God was still accomplishing his purposes in and through Joseph. You say, well, I, can you, is that really what's going on? Joseph, that's what Joseph said happened. Look at, if you want, if you don't believe me, look at chapter 45, verse six, sorry, verse five. Joseph tells his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse seven, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant, to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse eight, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Then over in chapter 50, verse 20, as for, he's talking to his brothers again. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph says like, hey, all that mess that happened all along, God was accomplishing his purpose in and through me to bring blessing to the world. It wasn't about me. It was about what he was doing. Child of God. What is true of God, even when as a child of God, your life is broken and messy and seems hopeless? What is true of God is that he's still good and he's still accomplishing his good plans and purposes in and through you. God is not limited by some circumstance. No, he uses circumstances to accomplish his will. Amen? This is not saying that like, hey guys, so just hang in there and all of a sudden you're gonna be rich and famous and you'll be the vice president. Like, it's not what the point is. You may not see how God used you or brought about good in your life until the other side of this life, till heaven, to eternity. But I guarantee you one day as a child of God, you will see that God is a good, faithful God that brought about his plans and purposes in your life, whether you saw it or not. Your circumstances are a terrible indicator of whether or not God is involved in your life. He's always involved in your life, whether you see it or not. Your life may be in shambles, but he's still sovereign. You say, my, my life is it's a mess right now. He's still the master. You say, I've been in pit after pit after pit. I got pits. I'm sweating so much. I've been in so many pits. <laughs> he still has a purpose for you. Man, I'm in so much pain because my family's broken. My life's broken. I keep taking backward step after backward step. I'm in so much pain. God says, I still have a plan for you. I mean, the, the pieces of my life are like a broken, broken shattered glass. And he says, hey, hey, I'm putting those pieces back together, my child. He's good, so don't give up. I think that's why Joseph, and I was trying to create some tension and like think about what he felt, but I think some of the things that I may have been feeling, Joseph didn't seem to feel that. He just was faithfully walking with God. I think he could do that and have that grit because he knew God was good, even when he couldn't see it. He's good, so don't give up. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I hear you, Hayes. 
this sure would be nice if there was something I could look to as, as a rock, as a foundation, as a sure stone, a sure sign, a lighthouse in the storm that God is good, that he's still working even when I can't see it. That, that God can take a broken, terrible, wicked, evil, messed up situation and use it for good. Friend, that lighthouse in the storm for you that you can look to is the cross of Jesus Christ. If Jesus can use a cro- cross to bring about salvation, he can use anything for good. <laughs> he can use anything for good. See, we see, we see the cross, Jesus, God, sees the empty grave. <laughs> he knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. We see, we see the ashes. He sees the beauty of what he's doing. So keep your eyes fixed on the cross. We're just pulling that out of nowhere. No, this was a small little step and God ultimately bringing redemption to all, to offer redemption to all mankind. So even Joseph said to his brothers, he was, God sent me here to save for you a remnant. Remember these God's chosen family through who ultimately the Messiah would come. Even in the life of Joseph, God was bringing about his work ultimately for Jesus. And more than that, I would say, if you're like, man, really connection with Jesus there? For sure. Jesus is a better Joseph. See, Joseph was used by God through all his suffering and his pain. God used ultimately Joseph to bring food to a starving world. God, through the suffering of Jesus, brought salvation to a sinful world, amen? Jesus is a better Joseph. This is not some cute little story. This is about the savior of the world. Believer, child of God. This morning, the call to response, the application is to keep your eyes on the cross, keep your eyes on Jesus as the proof that he's always working for good. You may see the cross, but he sees the empty grave. Just keep your eyes on him. Stay faithful knowing that he's good. Your suffering, as John Piper says, your suffering is not meaningless. <laughs> if you're not a child of God, I've been praying the past few days that God this morning would maybe begin even right now to collect the broken pieces of your life and show you that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, even though your life is a mess because of other people and certainly because of your own problems, that in spite of that, Jesus came to live for you and to die for you and he rose again. Maybe this morning you realize that the Holy Spirit is calling you to himself and that he has a plan and purpose for your life. He wants to put those broken pieces together and make something beautiful out of it. If that's you this morning, you simply need to respond to what he's doing in your heart which means that to repent, turn from your sin and self and trying to redeem your own self and just turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're the only hope I have. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Romans says that when you do that, you will be saved. Let's look to the cross this morning. I'm gonna pray for us. And as we sing this next uh, little song and a half, if you'd like to talk with somebody, uh, I'll be back in the back and a couple other pastors will be as well. Um, Maybe even after the service, we'd love to talk with you back there.
As we sing this song, let's respond to God and praise him for his goodness. God, we just ask that as we, as we sing right now, that we would trust, be instilled with the fact that you are good, you're faithful, even when we can't see it. Even in suffering, the cross reminds us that you use all things for good. God, show us They don't show us, but remind us the fact that even when we, we can't see you, we can't feel you, you're still working. Even when we can't see it, it doesn't seem like you're showing us things. Help us to be faithful. Keep our eyes on you. God, may we be a generation that points people to you through our faithfulness and knowing that you're faithful. Well, I pray for maybe those this morning that, that don't know you, that you would draw them to yourself clearly right now. They would repent, turn from their sins and trust you and they'd be bold enough to, to text us after the service or to talk to us in person. Tell us about your saving work in their life. God, you're good. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 